Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Can Perez squeeze past? They're going wheel to wheel towards Bale now. Who's going to be last on the brakes? Leclerc has that inside line. Perez goes off the track. Cuts the chicane. Off goes Leclerc. Through goes Hamilton. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Rosanna Tennant, and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race Podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King, and you're listening to Formula Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race Podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are here today to discuss the British Grand Prix 2022 at Silverstone. Ah, wow. Now, we are doing this a day late because most of the team were at the race. So I wasn't going to sit here on my own and do a podcast because I was too busy celebrating what a great race it was. Um, So I'm Ollie. On the show with me today, we have Abby, who was there the entire weekend in the media paddock. Abby, how are you? How was the British Grand Prix from Silverstone? I am incredibly tired. I had very early starts and very late finishes, but it was absolutely amazing. I'm still wearing my media pass because I'm still caught up in all the hype and excitement that was this weekend. Well, I'm not wearing my media pass because I didn't have one because you went... But I am with James as well. James, how are you? I'm good as well. I, uh, it, it was a mad, mad weekend, wasn't it? Um, trying to write about it whilst it was going on was completely impossible, to be honest. But uh, it was all good fun. <laughs> it was indeed. Now, we don't normally do this, but I'm going to do it. We're going to start the show with our race ratings. Now, we don't normally start the show with this because we save it till the end. But today, we're not. Um, James... Without a long explanation, out of ten, what would you what would you rate the British Grand Prix? Twenty. 
Is that a full 10 out of 10? 20. Double, <laughs> double. 20. <laughs> it had it all, didn't it? It had it all. It had drama. It had high stakes. It had uh, championship protagonists getting themselves into trouble. It had everything. It was Abby, brilliant. what would you rate the British Grand Prix out of 10? I completely echo James's sentiment, but I'm going to go with 25 out of 10 because I was there for the added atmosphere. It was just such a good race. Such a good race. Okay, now I have never rated, in the two years we've been doing this podcast, I have never rated a 10 out of 10 race. And we've had some good races over the last two years. What's that? 40-odd races. Um, But I'm giving this a 10 out of 10. It was absolutely incredible. It had everything from drama, crashes, and thankfully safe drivers as well. It had safety cars, it had on-track action, it had drama just all the way through. What a race this was. I literally, I've almost lost my voice from screaming in my front room. My wife came running down the stairs to ask if I was okay. I have never shouted consistently for that long in the whole time um, I've been with her. So yeah, it did sound like I was getting murdered. But where do we start? We start back in, let's start around practice. So... James, what was the weather like for practice this weekend? It was rainy as anything on, on Friday. Um, very, how can I put this, very hindered running in the first session. The fans didn't get an awful lot of entertainment in FP1. Good luck a bit in FP2. And we started to get a bit of a picture that perhaps Ferrari might be a bit more on pace this weekend. Lando popped it up into the top three as well, which excited a lot of people. Um... Yeah, it just it, it just it was almost as if the, 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 the race was teasing us already. This is what's going to happen. And we're going to give you a little bit of a taster. It was awesome. It was. Um, Abby, did you get wet during the... Um, did you get soaked at all during the Friday? Um, not so much during the Friday. I think I was mainly inside for that, thankfully. But I did catch some practice. We had it on in the media centre. And it certainly looked like Hamilton was improving with his uh, practice results, which Mercedes did bring some upgrades and it was hinted that they would be good at Silverstone because it is a smooth track. So that was, I was very happy to see that. I I can't wait to do my smooth operator thing, but uh, uh, it's not not time. Um, I I just find it mad that Mercedes can go from where they were with a few upgrades and a smooth track to be literally at the absolute front. And, you know, during the practice sessions, I was thinking, hmm, Hamilton's going to win this. Hamilton's going to win this race. This is possible. This could happen. Now, just in case uh, people haven't listened to the show for a long time, I am a Hamilton fan, but I'm also a fan of the sport. So um, that being said, a Hamilton win at the British Grand Prix was what I wanted this weekend. But going into qualifying... It suddenly didn't look like that was going to happen, did it? Um, So going into qualifying, we had a wet track. Um, Leclerc was setting the pace quite early on, swapping spot with Verstappen as it started to dry. And I was thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. It's not going to happen. Um, But this was a wet wet track and it was beginning to dry throughout. Um, Lance Stroll was uh, down at the bottom. No, he wasn't. Yes, he was. Lance, Lance Stroll was down at the bottom as normal in Q1 out of the um, uh, 
Start again, Ollie Whitney. <clears throat> so getting out in Q1, we had um, Kevin Magnussen, Alex Albon, Vettel, Mick Schumacher and Lance Stroll. A terrible weekend for Aston Martin. Yeah, it was a, quite a bad weekend for them, actually, which was surprising. But also for Williams, Albon, he was the one who was bringing the upgrades out of the two of them that were supposed to be similar to the Red Bull concept. So I thought that was quite interesting to see that they obviously didn't work quite as well as the team had hoped because he was out in Q1. The interesting thing about that one, though, Abby, as well, is... is uh, Albon in the pit lane said, why did you send me guy? Why did you send me down for, on cooldown laps? Well, I can't get any heat into the tyres. So I think it could well be, as you say, the pace wasn't there in the wet. But I think also they just completely fluffed the the, 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 the final few laps. And we saw we saw the Tifi scrape into Q2. And we thought, oh, he'll get out in Q2. Well, he'll get out in Q2. And then all of a sudden, Latifi has his first on merit Q3. It was, it was brilliant. It was. I mean, Latifi not being out Q1 was um, quite astonishing, really. I mean, he was 15th in the first session. Um, but I just, having obviously been to Silverstone many times myself and knowing that Hassa just across the road, and so are Aston Martin. I mean, two-minute walk from the track... Both out in Q1. That must have been painful for that team. All the people that work in the factories, awful. Very, very unlucky. Um, going out in Q2, we have Pierre Gasly, Valtteri Bottas, Yuki Tsunoda, Danny Rick, and Ocon. That, that's, that's a surprising one, isn't it? The problem with Danny Rick was, even in practice, he was never on the pace. He was towards the back the entire time. Um, he's just... He can't catch a break in Danny Rick. He's either all in or he's all out. There's never any in between. So, uh, I mean, we'll get, to, we'll get to his race performance later, but it just, it just really didn't perform well. Ocon, for me, was the biggest surprise of, Q, of, 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 of Q2 going out because that, that, that Alpine is fast. So uh, he, he, claw, he didn't even claw it back in the race, did he, sadly? He had a nightmare weekend. Yeah, I mean, I know you just said Danny Ricciardo's either in or he's out. But it, 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 it just seems like it depends if Lando's doing well or not. Um, just comparative. But uh, in Q2, this is when I started to get really excited. Um, Lewis Hamilton was top of the times for quite a while. Um, and Max Verstappen did pip him at the end, but he pipped him by 0.4 of a second. I mean, a huge amount. Um, but going into Q3, this was an exciting showdown for qualifying. I've not... I, I'm not a huge... I don't always get massively excited over qualifying because it usually ends about five minutes before the end of qualifying. It, there's no, never really a finale. But there was. We had the smooth operator um, <laughs> oh, God. On, on the smooth Silverstone take the pole for the first time in his career. We're not talking about the race yet, but guys, Carlos Sainz, pole position at Silverstone of all places, which is a real driver's track in changing conditions. What did you make of science to this point this weekend? Well, throughout the season, he has come so close to pole and to win, and he really deserves it. It's been really long awaited. And his lap was amazing. I think his pole lap was 1 minute 40.190, which it was just insane. And just to see it was incredible. 
It, sorry, Abby, sorry to interrupt you. You said you think that was his poll time. That was a very precise think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was his poll time. Good, okay. Uh, it, it was just incredible to see him, and he did deserve it, because I feel like, yes, he had a couple of DNFs in retirements earlier on, but this weekend he really came into his talent. Absolutely. Um, James, what did you make of science up until this point? Brilliant. Uh, it's, you know, it, what I found hilarious, though, was uh, he got into the pits and said, I actually didn't think that, that was that good. <laughs> I know. Which... Well, talk, about, talk about being cool as hell, right? Getting pole position at Silverstone in those conditions going, oh, wow, yeah, I could have gone faster. <laughs> I mean, what a guy. Um, it was close. Uh, to P2 man Verstappen. It was 0.072, I think, of a gap um, (laughs) between the two of them. Um, With Charles Leclerc in third, Ferrari sandwich for Verstappen there, um, 0.3 of a second off Carlos Sainz. Now, as you've hinted, or you've revealed, James, uh, Nicholas Latifi did get into Q3, which was incredible. But without looking, Abby, I can see you looking. Without looking, how far was he off Carlos Sainz in Q3? James, go on. Don't Google it. Don't Google it. I can see you Googling it. (laughs) Um, He was quite a way off. I can't do them. I have the times here. I can't do the maths in my head, but he was quite a way off. I can do the maths in my head. But once James guesses... 2.6 seconds. (laughs) More. Keep going. 3.5. Keep going. In bigger bigger jumps, please. (laughs) 10.6. I'll go for the whole HRT Lotus time time gap. Uh, Double it. (laughs) 20.1. He was was 22.1 seconds gap between um, Carlos Sainz and Nicolas Satifi. So (laughs) basically, he just went out to put a lap in, right, and then pitted. Um, Clearly, the man thought, right, I've got P10. This is enough for me. Um, But we have been talking a lot about um, Latifi this season. I think I just want to give him a little clap. Join me on this, guys. Join me. But I still think there could be a better driver in that seat. Anyway. There will be from there will be from the sound of things from next year. That's a, different, <laughs> that's a story for a different podcast. Indeed, indeed. Uh, we had Sergio Perez in P4. It was Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris, P5 and 6, with Fernando Alonso again doing well, taking a P7 for the starting grid. Um, other Brit, George Russell in P8, with Zhou Guanyu, awesome qualifying in P9. And we've already said the P10 man, but um, Zhou Guanyu, what did you guys make of him up until this point in the weekend? He had a great qualifying session. He was really hooking it up. I, I, you know, at qualifying, his teammate Bottas, hugely experienced. Uh, I felt like at this point he seemed to have really found his, really come into his own, found his groove. It was, it was really good to see, and he had confidence as well in the car. There was never any doubt about him putting his car into the corners. It was all very calm collective just what you want to see from a rookie get into the groove <laughs> um, abby what did you make a joke on you very similar to james definitely he he seems very comfortable in that alpha and he proved it this weekend it was a great lap from him and he deserves the success that he does and for a rookie it is really good one person we haven't really spoken about is max verstappen James, what did you what did you think about his his performance in qualifying? 
he kept on finding time. Every time Hamilton, Sainz, Leclerc went to the top of the timesheets, he always found another maybe half a second. It, was, it wasn't even small amounts of time he was finding. It was huge chunks. And he was such, he was set for pole. And you could see in the Q3 final minutes, you had uh, Helmut Marco looking very nervous, but also quite anti- you know, anticipating, yeah, we, we've got this. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And then he, 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 he fluffed his laps up. One spin... And then also the yellow flag caused um, by the by, by the by the crash. So bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go again. You had Helmut Marco um, in the you know in the garage looking really quite anticipatory, going, oh, "I think we've got this. I think he's going to get pole." And then the yellow flag came out in the dying seconds uh, for Leclerc spinning, which of course made him back off, and that gave signs uh, gave signs pole. But the, but he was so on it was was Verstappen during qualifying. He just it, that Red Bull was so hooked up. Max Verstappen did one of the coolest three sixties I've I've seen in a long time, and still set his fastest time whilst doing it. It was incredible, you know, three sixty perfectly. It was like it was like um, orchestrated. It was just beautiful. But you do talk about Helmut Marco, the same man who tried to, tried to take a drink with his face mask on a few years ago. Uh, we all remember that, Abby, do we? Yes, I do remember that. I was just picturing that in my head. I found that very funny. When it was so funny. It was so funny. And then he saw himself on the TV camera doing it, which was even funnier. Um, right, we are going to take a, a short pause for the cause, um, pay the bills, pay our rent, um, and talk about our sponsor for this show. This episode is brought to you by 8sleep, who is the official team supplier for Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula 1 team. With 22 races a year, getting quality recovery is a challenge for F1 drivers and team members. The Mercedes-AMG team uses 8sleep's pod cover at home and also on the road to mitigate the impact of the intensely packed schedule. I'm also a busy man, believe it or not, and I use 8sleep. I fall asleep in record time faster than before, and it is thanks to 8sleep. Uh, the Pod Pro Cover by 8sleep is the m- most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. It pairs dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking. What does this mean? Well, it means when you're in bed, it changes the temperature to give you the perfect night sleep. 8sleep is the only solution that gives you on-track energy Sunday through Sunday. The pod cover allows Lewis Hamilton, George Russell and the whole Mercedes team to wake up with peak energy ready for race day. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash formula nerds to check out the pod pro cover and save £150 at the checkout. That's 8sleep.com forward slash formula nerds for £150 off. 8sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada the UK, and selected countries in the EU, and also now Australia. That's 8sleep.com forward slash Formula Nerds. Right, guys, now I'm not joking. I do have one of these um, products, and they are cool. So they do sponsor this show, and I was reading a script, but they are awesome. Abby, have I sold it to you? Do you feel like you should take a look at these? Yes, I do, definitely, because... In it, especially in England, the whole temperature thing in the rooms, in summer it's so hot and in winter it's so cold. To have something that can adapt to the room temperature to help you sleep better, I feel like I definitely need to invest. I feel like that's a great point I should have used. James, have you ever thought about getting one of these since you've heard um, they sponsor the show? 
Yes, sleep is a real problem for me. I struggle with uh, waking up in the middle of the night. And I, I sound like an advert myself now. Uh, I, I, I generally struggle with waking up in the middle of the night. I struggle with getting back to sleep. Even falling asleep for me is an absolute nightmare. So I wouldn't mind one of these. All right. You're looking at me when you're saying this. Uh, they are good. They are that was good. unintentional. Sorry, it was intentional. Well, James, you can get 150 quid off if you go to 8sleep.com forward slash for me nerds. So there you go. Um, right, let's talk about the race but before we get to the race it is time i feel like we need an intro for this part it is time for the national anthem review abby's looking at me like i'm completely mad at the moment um abby you were there for the national anthem what was it like being there well i was outside along the national pitch straight and i could see it on the screen and I was with some other journalists and we looked at it and some people went, who is singing that? And we're like, Sam Ryder, who won, well, he didn't win Eurovision, but he no. sung for the UK. <laughs> um, it was a unique rendition of the national anthem. I can't say that I've ever heard a version quite like it, but yeah. Now, because you, you were there, you probably wouldn't have seen this on TV, but James, um, did you notice the man standing just behind um, the now I know his name, Sam Ryder, um, laughing. Did you notice this? No, but I did notice the poor little boy who got caught with his hat still on during the, that, during the start <laughs> of the national anthem and frantically put, took it off and then looked at it as if to say, oh, no, I'm, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I think, I think I got away with it. No, no, son, you didn't. I'm sorry. Oh, bless him. <clears throat> To be fair, I took, I t- even when I'm watching at home, right, for the British National Anthem, I take my hat off. I wish I hadn't for this one. This was just a butchering. I, I, I've never felt so unproud to be British. Uh, James? It was absolute total diatribe. It was just, it was awful. I actually, I actually got a text from my mum and my dad and said, who is this singing and why is he butchering the National Anthem? Um they're quite blunt they can be they're going to kill me for saying that they've listened to this but it, 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 it is but it, it was just diabolical I mean the British National Anthem does not need a guitar solo before and after the introduction it doesn't need that particularly when it's so rubbish um, sorry Sam stay at home for that, for that I mean let's be honest here the Eurovision is not a mark for great quality music as it is but to have to have the runner up to Eurovision, doing the British Grand Prix in front of millions. I mean, 142,000 people were there, but millions across the world. Come on. God damn. I don't know who was responsible for that. Um, Stuart Pringle, I'm not going to say it was you. You are head of Silverstone, but I don't think... It seems Siri knows. Um, But whoever was responsible for that, Drop me an email. I need to have a chat with you. It's ollie at formulaners.com. We need to discuss this. Please come and defend yourself on this show. There may be more thought behind it than I've realised. <sighs> Everyone okay? Have I ranted? You have. I'm just trying not to, I'm just trying not to relive it in my head again, which is... <laughs> You're not talking because you want me to move on. <laughs> is, is that right? Okay, right. Move on, I will. Should we go to the race start? Who's going to do the race start? I've just ranted for far too long. I need to take a breather. 
I'll take the race start and just say how immensely lucky we are that the Halo exists. Zhou Guan Yu is a lucky, lucky boy. Uh, it looks like it's the roll hoop that uh, that dug him in and failed. But the Halo, without question, saved his life. Now, for anyone who has not seen the footage, uh, it's terrifying. We were talking just before we came on air about the uh, amateur one that was taken with the car coming towards the grandstand, which just looks petrifying. Um, and Joe's car was flipped up by Pierre Gasly, uh, who went into a gap that he thought was there. It, it wasn't Gasly's fault. It was just the way. It's just the way that the race had begun. Vettel's fault, um, if anyone, it, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. But yeah, he hit him. So, uh, Joe Guanyu's car was hit, flipped, flipped the car over, and he travelled over what were 150, 160 miles an hour upside down into the first corner, flipped over that, and into the catch fencing. This was as I, I mean, Abby. I'm going to ask you what it was like being there, but for us watching on the other side of, of the glass, the TV, that is, um, it was utterly, it was Grosjean again. Um, that's how I felt. Because the guy was on his head, 100, 180 miles an hour. Now, when you're on concrete, sorry, when you're on tarmac, I was when that, I was pretty convinced, yes, that's fine. But as soon as you hit the gravel, so it's going to start digging in, which means that the driver's head is no longer protected because... It's gone downwards. So, having seen that in the background of the shot, that's all we had seen, and I thought, that is not going to end well. Um, we've later seen the the grooves dug into the tarmac at Silverstone. I mean, they're, what, 10 mil? 10 mil deep? That was a huge impact. I, I, the halo has saved a life. It also saved the life of Roy. Roy Nassani, by the way. Um the same day earlier on in the F2 race where a car was launched, hit the halo. As far as I'm concerned, the halo saved two lives in one day this this weekend. I I was one of the biggest haters of the halo. I did not want it to come into this sport. I, I, I thought for the first, certainly a year, it looked absolutely ridiculous. But how many lives would we have lost now without the halo? There's, there's, there's a lot, isn't there? I mean, Abby... Explain what it was like at the track when this happened. So we were outside just before the lights went out and the whole, all everyone there was screaming because Lewis managed to get straight through from fifth. And we were, like, as a Lewis fan and with some other Lewis fans, we were all screaming in joy. And then you see the yellow flag and you're like, what has just happened? Because we were watching on track TV, we couldn't see the actual crash with Joe and then it showed it and your your heart just drops and you're like oh my god is he okay because we did see the Nasani and Halga one but with Joe being flipped upside down into the barrier over the barrier into the fence and then on the car on the side it was horrendous and every you could feel it in the whole grandstands everyone was just like oh my god what has just happened yeah, and I won't lie, um, you know, we, we live and breathe motorsport and, you know, the odd crash is entertaining. We understand that, right? It's drama. But my bottom lip was shaking just like when when the Grosjean incident happened. And the how long he was in that car, 
what was it? It was probably over 10 minutes he was sitting upside down in that car. I, I thought they were pulling a body out of it. Um, but again, I was checking Twitter. In fact, I was covering Twitter for Richard. Big up, Richard. Um, but I was covering the Twitter. The Twitter. That makes me sound old, doesn't it? Um, I was covering the tweeting. And... Um, yeah, refreshing every minute. And uh, you could see people who were there saying, he's not out the car, he's not out the car. Um, so, yeah, that, that made me absolutely fear the worst. Um, now, we can't talk about this without talking about George Russell. Abby. Yes. So, Gasly's front right clipped Russell's rear left, which caused Russell to spin and then collide with Joe. And from Russell's on board... When he's spinning, from you can clearly see that he can see Joe crash into the fence. And almost immediately, Russell gets out of his car as quick as he can and runs over to check sh- to make sure that Joe's okay. Now, that sportsmanship, it reminded me of Senna and Comas in 92 when yeah. that happened. Yeah. And it was great to see George do that. And then because he ran back to his car, it kind of calmed me a bit because I was like, okay... Joe, he's obviously alive because I don't point. think I don't think Russell would have run back to his car if Joe wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, he, he's alive. That's okay. But it was great to see Russell check on Joe and just that sportsmanship and camaraderie between them. You're absolutely right. Now, at the time, I thought, is this a bit of a PR stunt because he's out the car already? It's a British Grand Prix. But it wasn't because Russell wasn't able to restart the race because he got out the car. So this was genuine. And there's there's actually no side to anyone who can say that that was the wrong thing to do. He got out that car probably before he'd realised the wheel had gone and ran over to him. And that is what this sport is about. And you know, there were other drivers, and God, it kills me to say it. I can't believe that other people saw that and carried on driving. I, I just can't. And is George Russell the only human driver there, James? He certainly did his, his reputation no uh, harm at all, did he? Well, did exactly. That. That's why I thought, oh, it's a bit, a bit of PR, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Uh, I think there, the problem is, I think by, by that point, by the time George got there, a lot of the other cars had already long gone, and then they, made, they maybe saw... A bit of a uh, bit of uh, the cars. The problem is, I think when the cars had all gone through turn one, they probably couldn't see what was going on. Russell was one of the last who could see what was happening. The rest of them couldn't. They'd all long gone and just saw a yellow flag, and then eventually the red. But then in the in the pit lane, you could see and you could sense the atmosphere, and you could hear on the team radios, "Is Joe okay?" What's the latest information? And everyone, as you say, Abby, we, we could tell on the TV just watching that the atmosphere in Silverstone had changed and it was very sombre. It was, it almost reminded me of looking at um, the grid in 94 and when Senna was killed. Mm. That just that, just that sense of something is seriously wrong and as spectacularly bad has happened. And when it was announced that Joe was okay, it all got back to normal straight away, but it was, it, it was not a pleasant. 20 minutes to watch and from a broadcasting perspective you when you don't see the crash that is always a real cause for concern from a viewer's perspective because you know what are they hiding and it was just awful to see the, the footage 
Yeah, no, and, and that's a good point, James. Now, when I when I said other drivers human, people they would have seen that. That was uh, it, it wasn't my thoughts. I was just asking the question because the drivers are told not to get involved with this. They know that there's a medical car behind the starting grid, and they've got all the professionals around the circuit. Um, you know, drivers running over to try and help is not what they're told to do. However, George Russell clearly couldn't contain himself, which is is epic. Abby and. Alex Albon as well, because he was involved in, well, a starting incident before turn one and that, because Bottas was in front of Albon and he slowed down, so Albon slowed down, but Vettel behind Albon didn't slow down, so he clipped Albon in the rear and then Albon spun, hit the wall and spun even more and got whacked like three times, I think. And when he was then in his car clearly injured because he later got taken to hospital. The marshals came over to him and there's a video that you can see where Albon's like, no, don't go to me, go to Joe and see if he's okay. Which wow. I didn't, is, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think he couldn't get out of the car himself because he was injured, but he sent them over to Joe because it, it looked obviously from the looks of the cars, Joe's incident would look severely worse because of the way the car was. So even that, that sportsmanship there is, admirable between Russell and Albon it is really admirable do you know what I, I didn't know that and my my level of respect for Albon has just gone up threefold and what I didn't understand was you know Albon's been in hospital overnight he is out now um Guan Yu Zhou was back at the track by, by before the end of the race how how badly was Albon injured and how, how did that happen because again I've watched the replay of Albon a few times and it didn't didn't look too serious. I'm not entirely sure what his injuries were in that. I think it was just the impact that he got hit from the side and then maybe the front, I think. But the three impacts, I think, were just so hard and a lot of force that it maybe winded him and hurt his neck or something. I'm not entirely sure. But I am so thankful that both Albon and Joe are both okay. All I'm going to say, James, I'm going to give it to you in a second, but if that hurt Albon, then what, what type of material is uh, Zhou Guanyu made out of? Because it must be titanium body that he's got. Um, and the impact when he hit the catch fencing, um, obviously being floor first, I think that definitely changed the outcome of this. Um, I wouldn't have liked to see it any other way at all. James? Yeah, I can't really add anything else to what you guys have said. All I would say is I think Albon and Russell come from a a certain generation of Formula 2 driver that I think all of us have followed over the last four years as they've progressed through F3, F2, F1. They're all very close as, 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 as friends, which is very unusual for Formula 1 drivers. But what you also see is they have a very set way of doing things, what they believe is right, what they believe is wrong, how to conduct themselves in the paddock, how to conduct themselves around each other. Um, it's a sense of, I would say, decency that I don't think we've seen since the days of when Fernando Alonso, Jensen Button first arrived on the grid. It's that sense of being a, a racing driver, but a racing driver who com- who commands respect with each other, but also fully respect each other. And it's nice to see that coming back into the sport. So I think it was missing for a few years, to be honest. Yeah, and I don't want to tarnish what George has just done, but uh, a couple of years ago, back in um, Imola, obviously George Russell had the, the the crash with Valtteri Bottas, went over and slapped him in the head. Um, I <laughs> James is laughing as I said that. Um, he whacked him on the helmet. Um, but 
George Russell is clearly maturing as a man. You can't judge someone from what they were um, to what they are. Uh, the, 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 obviously, Joe's crash was a lot more serious. Even though Valtteri's was big, George Russell is he's turning into a real hell of a man, and that was impressive. Now, the other thing I just want to talk about on safety, again, thank you to the Halo, but um, sausage curbs or baguette curbs, whatever you like to call them, that caused the F2 crash. Um, Abby, can you just explain what the involvement was of this? What, what is this curb, and how did it cause this crash in the F2? So it's the, it's the curbs that are along the edge of the track. Now, there are mixed opinions about them because a lot of people think that they can be very dangerous. And in the F2 feature race, there was a battle between Roy Nissany and Dennis Hauger. Now... What happened was Nissany, he forced Hauger off the track. And when Hauger rejoined the track, he went over the sausage curb, which sent his car into the air. So it landed on top of Nissany's car. A bit like Hamilton and Verstappen last year at Monza. But the only difference being that I wouldn't have even said the car landed at Silverstone. It was on a direct trajectory over it. Um, it was. Whereas the one, you know, the one, it's a good comparison, actually. The one at Monza, um, it, it just sort of, it was like a belly flop, I'd say. Um, and the, I've got an issue with these curbs because it's like putting a ramp on an F1 track. Why, why would you do that? And again, I think, uh, yeah, it was Monza in F3, a few years ago, when um, on the last turn, um, one of the cars hit a sausage curb, baguette curb, whatever you want to call them, um, and went into the catch fencing. Why do we have ramps on race circuits? James? Well, I guess they're designed to try and stop drivers from taking too much curb or going off the track or the famous track limits, but... there are far better options for this. Sausage curbs destroy the underside of cars. That's what they're designed to do. The problem is the cars these days are now run so low to the ground and also their noses are so low that every time you do something like this, every every time that you have an incident like this, the result is inevitable. The car will be launched. It's going to land on top of another car. I, 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 I know we have this obsession with track limits, but that can that can be undone just by doing you know grass and gravel. We don't need these, as you say, ramps on them. They are utterly ridiculous, and they are such a danger to to the driver. We even saw Abby Eaton at Cota break her back on one of these because the 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 they are so. I was going to say hard, but so is so is a track. Um, they're so prominent that the force of hitting one goes straight through the driver's spine. Now, my view <clears throat> now my view is to get rid of all sausage curbs on every single track in the world. Would either of you oppose to that? Nope, not the slightest. Get rid of them all and get rid of them tomorrow. I wouldn't oppose. I think it's a, it's a question of do the benefits outweigh the risks, and I don't think that they do. Absolutely. Um, Okay, right. That's all we're going to talk about on those incidents. But um, for our listeners, I am trying to get someone from the FI8 um, who works in the safety area um, to come and talk to us about safety in F1. Um, And right now, I think they're heroes for everything that they do. You know, lives have been saved continuously. And let's hope we can get them on the show. 
So going back to the race, restart, the order was the same. Now, I, I said on Twitter, I wasn't happy about this. That's because Hamilton had a mega start, got into third. And obviously the argument is, well, what order would it be? In my opinion, it should have been the moment the red flag came out, that would be the restart order. Why wasn't it, James? This is where I'm going to defend the FIA, which is unusual for me normally. So the FIA's uh, explanation was that you that the cars hadn't gone through the first sector. They'd only gone through the first corner. Therefore, lap time hadn't been completed and the race was not null and void, but no one really had moved up the grid in the, in the views of the officials. That I am actually going to side with the FIA on. I think that they only went through one corner. You cannot call one corner a representation of a sector or, uh, or, 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 or a lap. And I think there have been previous incidents in the past, similar when this has happened, where the, the, the race order was the same. And I, to be honest, it was the best solution at the time. Abby, do you think that's right? I mean, the FIA, James, you defend them. That's a, that's a very fair point. Um, I think it's probably the correct one. But it wasn't like a quick decision. <laughs> it took them a while to come up with this. Um, Abby, what's your view? Should they have done it at the point of the red flag? Or should they have done it, just restarted the race, considering what had gone on? I when, when the red flag initially came, and they were talking about restarting the race, and then they said going back to what the starting grid was previously, I was a bit like, but why? Why Why would you do that? Because, well, for me, Hamilton just got into third. So I was like, why would you do that to him? But knowing the reasoning behind it and that they hadn't actually completed the first sector, I do agree with it. I do think that was the right decision, but it was bittersweet in the terms of who then had a good start when they restarted the race and who didn't. But yeah. I agree with that decision that they made. Mm. It's almost like, here's what would have happened in an alternate universe when they restarted the race. <laughs> because I was thinking, right, well, it's going to have, if they're, if they're doing it again, it's going to have to be the same outcome or it's not fair, right, <laughs> James? Yeah, they, they couldn't do it any other way. I think it was the only way they could have done it. So uh, it just, as you say, it, it, it's not the first time the FIA have taken time to make a big decision. Uh, it does seem to be a bit of a, uh, a problem with the FIA this year. They're, they're frozen with indecision as Ferrari are, but we'll get to that later. Absolutely. Um, and this could be... Well, anyway, don't go down that road, are they? Now, it took an hour for the race to restart. This is because something else was happening, which for the people at the track, they would have known about. For the people on social media, they would have known about. But... For your nan and granddad sitting on the sofa watching it on Sky Sports, they wouldn't have known about. And there were people on the racetrack during the first lap. Now, I don't personally watch Good Morning Britain, but I have seen the clips of the people who were on the track. Now, can none of you please say the name of the organisation, because I don't want to give them any exposure from this whatsoever um but james what type of people were they and why were they doing it these were climate change protesters trying to stop uh well they, they apparently didn't target formula one itself they just wanted the international audience now I'll, this is where i'm going to sound like a bit of a ranty old man so please forgive me no 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 but, do it james do it because 
<laughs> I'm going to rant if you don't. <laughs> so protest is something which selfishly, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind the idea of people protesting. Pro- and I'm not trying to give you, I'm not trying to give protesters ideas. I want to put that very clear. But protesting at somewhere like Wimbledon or protesting somewhere like a football match, it's an inconvenience. You've interrupted the game. That's one thing. But when you decide to sit on a motor racing circuit with cars doing in excess speeds of 170 miles an hour, one of the fastest points of the circuit, and you think it's okay to sit down there, if those cars are come anywhere near you, and this is where I'm going to get very graphic, forgive me, you're talking dismemberment. You're talking you will be split in two if you're hit by that car. You will kill a driver. You will kill the fans because they will be hit as well when the driver loses control. All in the name of this complete arrogant self this arrogant sense of self-righteousness that we have to be told and it's in our best interest it's not on our best interests but these people are so arrogant and beyond reason that they will not be able to see that and it just made me so angry that we had lives put at risk because people need a bit of a cause to fight for it was utterly ridiculous morally reprehensible and the last thing i will also say is these people were at the point where they could see Guan Yu Zhou's car, or they will see it go into the barrier. And they, their first thought was, oh, hang on, someone's just gone into the barrier in a really bad way. This is our chance to evade the track. Absolutely disgusting. I'll it, stop. Sorry. It, no, no. And James, uh, I can feel the passion there, and I share it. We were talking before the race, and again, James, you were, you were doing the race report during this race, and... Um, there was a tip-off that this was going to happen. So Silverstone was on high alert about this. We didn't know when, we didn't know where. Um, but these people, they and one, the one point, by the way, I, 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 I mirror everything you've just said, but one bit you did, you did miss was that the marshals then had to go on the track, put their lives at risk, and a number of marshals to go and save, to, to well, yeah, save these people. Um, it's just unbelievable if you want to kill yourself there are ways of doing it okay but why would you put all of those people's lives at risk and this is this is even we haven't even spoken about the cause and why they're at the british grand prix but it's just absolutely ridiculous i don't even mind that it delayed the start of the race that doesn't bother me what bothers me is the reason for it yeah, and, yeah. I should have mentioned the marshals. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, they, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and they were so quick, it, so quick to get on the track. They were, and they dragged them off. Um, and you know, they, they are absolute heroes as well. And my God, it, it's. I'm going to go and burn an oil drum just to piss these people off because they're idiots. Okay, um, Abby, what what was it like at the circuit when this was happening? Did you know? I know you weren't at that location, so you wouldn't have seen it. I knew that there was a warning that protesters could come onto the track and I knew that the the local police had offered to work with them to help them protest their cause, but in a safe manner. But it's just, I don't know what would go through your mind to go, I want to protest, I'm going to put myself at risk by going onto a motor racing track when there's like thousands of people around drivers marshals and put everybody else at risk and it just yeah i if you want to protest protest if you believe in a cause you can protest it all you like but do it in a safe manner that doesn't put yourself and other people at risk at here here (laughs) 
Can now, you... there's one other person who wasn't on the track, but who has spoken about this on social media, who I also just want to put a middle finger up to, and that is Gary Lineker. Have either of you seen what he's been saying today? I did see something about that, yes, between him and Brundle. Yes. Gary Lineker um, is a dickhead. There we go. I'm not even going to edit that out. Um, he was condoning what happened and on the side of the the people who were sitting on the trek. Um, Gary Lineker, you're an idiot. Um, I'm not going to buy Walker's Crisps again if you advertise them. We all okay. Tune over to more happier. Tune over to more happier <laughs> topics. We've given this race a ten out of ten, and all we've done is moan. Um, okay, um, <laughs> let's let's go back into the into the race. Um, uh, one of our fantastic writers at the Formula Nerds um, called this musical chairs for the lead. James, do you want to talk us through what happened at the start? And who, by the way, who was that writer? That would be me. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it, it was just crazy. You had you had both Red Bulls and both Ferraris going into turn two, turn three. I should know the names. Apologies, I don't. Um, they went into turn two and three together, going onto the Wellington Straight. Four into one really doesn't go. Uh, two cars came off with damage: Perez's uh, Red Bull and Leclerc's uh, Ferrari. The difference be- between though was that uh, whilst Leclerc was able to continue and be somewhat competitive despite what happened Perez was quickly swamped as he went backwards and we just had this this sense of uh, of, of, of musical chairs as uh, uh, Sainz was beginning to feel the pressure from Verstappen Sainz did then make a mistake unfortunately he ran wide going on to the hangar straight after 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 back after Beckett's uh, which gifted Verstappen the lead but then <laughs> But then Shokara at that time was short-lived in the, in the lead for Verstappen because Verstappen then thought he had a puncture, had to come into the pits, which then gave Sainz the lead back. Um, it, it, you just couldn't make it up, and it was just brilliant to watch. You didn't it know what was, to look next, did you? It was next level, this race. And there's a reason that we gave this 10 out of 10, and it's not because of those idiots sitting on the track. This was incredible. And at this point... We all thought Perez's race was over. We thought Sainz potentially was going out. We thought Leclerc was going out. This is chaos, man. And it was seriously exciting. Well, by this point, Hamilton was in third, which was great to see because the first, when the first start of the race, he managed to get into third. And then obviously with everything that happened, he got bogged down on the restart. So to see him in third after all the trouble that Mercedes have had this season was just amazing. And the crowd were cheering so much when he was in third. It was electric to see. And there was the battle between Lando and Lewis, but obviously Lewis came out on top. And then there was a battle between teammates with Alpha Tauri because Gasly and Sonoda tripped over each other, causing them to spin synchronously. That's not a word. To, uh, to, sp- to, um, to synchronise spin. Yeah, that's <laughs> I want, I want that word to be, to be real, though. I like that word. That's Sorry, a what was it? Word. I mean, refresh me. Synchronicity. <laughs> Synchronicity. I'm an English student. and I S- Simultaneously in sync. Wow. Sim- Is there a... What? Yeah. Synchronicity. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm not taking the mic, I swear. Okay. <laughs> um, causing them to, to synchronise spin because Sonoda went on the inside of Gasly, which... Teammates can battle, but obviously that's not as a team principal or anyone on the team. You don't want to see both your cars have contact and then 
have an incident like that. But there were just so many battles in this race, especially at the front. And with Ferrari, there was a bit of a bit of tension between the two with Science and Leclerc and who was going to get the lead and a what bit, the team should do. A bit of tension. Well, that's probably a, a, an understatement. A, a lot of tension, I should say, really. Yes, it was. It, it, you had the two Ferraris and it's like, well, we know that the one in second is faster. We know that Hamilton's hum, hunting you down. But we're not going to do anything because we're Ferrari and we take forever to make a decision and it's usually the wrong one. And this repeated itself a little later on, which we'll get to. But James, what is going on on that Ferrari pit wall? It was brilliant, wasn't it? Because you had uh, you had Leclerc, you had Leclerc saying, "I need to get past," despite the fact this video he had front wing damage, which begs the question: How fast would he have gone if he had a completely <laughs> exactly. working car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, but you had Ferrari saying, "No, no, 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 no. It's fine. We've we've given signs a clear lap time. He has to be. It's okay." Uh, and Leclerc was getting more and more cross by the minute. Then Ferrari said, "Okay, you need to do this, or we're going to swap the cars." A few more laps passed. Hamilton's getting closer and closer and closer, and then they said, "Okay, this isn't good enough." So we'll, you know, we'll have to. You know, you guys are now free to race. By which point, Hamilton has caught them right up, to the, right up with them, and they decide to box one of the Ferraris to get the tent to lose the situation. They, 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 <laughs> free to they, race, yeah. Uh, box, box. <laughs> they just. They, I mean, Ferrari just do not seem to have the ability to make a decision. It's been that way since Monaco. Uh, as you say, this was going to come back to bite them in the backside really badly come the end of the Grand Prix. But it was just embarrassing. And Sainz's pace when he when he came out of the piss was nowhere near fast enough. So, uh, I, I just don't know what else to say about Ferrari. I really want them to do well because we need a championship that's going to be competitive and not just for Stappen bolting off into the distance. You know, days like today aside, days like yesterday aside. But it's just, it's almost getting embarrassing and pitiful now, to be honest. It is, and we should have ended up with a Ferrari 1-2 if there was a bit more intelligence within that team. Um, but we'll get there. Um, again, I'm referring to a fantastic report that was written on a fantastic website to help me through this, because there was so much stuff going on. Um, you can check out formulas.com to read this review as well, uh, report. Um, but it was Latifi, his run in the points. Basically, he lost P10 on that 31. Um, taken, overtaken by someone that made me so happy. This was this was what we've been waiting for this year. Abby, who was it? It was Mick Schumacher, which was amazing to see because this weekend for Mick was great. It was amazing. I loved your I loved your gesture with that. I mean that was brilliant. <laughs> the, viewer, the listener the listener can't see that, but it was just it was just it was almost like a French like <laughs> it was beautiful. Chef's kiss. It was amazing. It was. And um again, don't forget where these guys qualified. And it wasn't long before the second has of Kevin Magnuson, the bad boy on the grid, um, whose dad we interviewed on this podcast only a few weeks ago. Check it out. Um who was coming along behind. This was so much action, James. I'm struggling to think what happened next. Well, if we go further down the order, you then had Esteban Ocon trying to trying to uh, overtake Verstappen's ailing Red Bull. Now, these two, should we say, have a certain history together uh, of when they get together on a circuit. It usually ends 
quite badly in one occasion with fisticuffs, as we remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> was that Brazil? That was Brazil, because Ocon cost him a chance of victory and tried to unlap himself. Unlap him, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and just, for the listeners, he went over to him in the pits and did a Schumacher coultard from Spa, didn't he? Well, the difference between that between Schumacher and Coulthard and him was actually Verstappen got to him. Schumacher, <laughs> yeah. Schumacher didn't. Good point, yeah. <laughs> um, but Ocon got past him, which would have been really, really great, which would, which would have done him and Alpine no damage at all in terms of their, their morale. But, and there was a very big but to this, uh, Ocon started to slow on the national pitch straight. And he, he came to a halt before Cops Corner, which wasn't the greatest place to park the car. Oh, hold on. I could feel a rant building up inside of me. I could, uh, I've got another rant coming. Um, but Abby, before I do. I was just going to say, when Ocon overtook Verstappen, the crowd went wild. Whenever someone overtook Verstappen in yesterday's race, there were cheers all around. There were cheers in my household as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the only one watching the race. So uh, take that how you want to. He's not a popular man at Silverstone, is he, Verstappen? He's um, he's a, he's one of the greatest race drivers that there is, but there's something else that does tend to annoy people, especially if you're British. And I'm not even just talking about uh, at the end of last year because that wasn't Verstappen's fault. I've got nothing against him for that. But there are a few things that annoy me. Um, a a, a pre rant is coming, which is him being slightly defensive of his girlfriend's dad during this week. That really annoyed me. James, did that annoy you? Yes. Now, Verstappen was in a bit of a difficult situation there because... <laughs> yeah, do you want uh, to piss not, off uh, the father-in-law? Or do you <laughs> yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not seeking to defend Verstappen, but at the same time, if you've got your, fa- your potential father-in-law doing something stupid, but at the same time, it's, you know, that's your potential father-in-law... Uh, it wasn't the greatest situation for him to be in, but at the same time, he should have called him out on it. Because what PK we covered, we covered it, didn't we, Abby, last week on the podcast? What PK said was disgusting. There is no context that where it's acceptable. He needed to call it out. At the same time, though, he's got a girlfriend. Is the he's a, the daughter of a speaker to PK? I can't imagine it was an easy week for him. But he should have he should have called it out. End of story. Verstappen's had an awful week now I think about it. He has just had a terrible week. Um, uh, Right, on to my second round. Why on earth did Ocon park the car there? Okay, I know that there's gravel on the left. Um, Abby, it was right where you were, so um, you would have seen it pretty well. Well, it was just before where you were. But um, he knew this car was dying. Why did he park it there? Okay, it wasn't on the racing line. I'll give him that. Fine. But there was no other outcome to this than safety car, which I didn't think at this point of the race, which is probably the first time in years that I haven't wanted a safety car. We well, Sorry, we haven't needed a safety car to spice the race up. It was, you know, it was near the end of the race, well, in the final third, let's say, and we did, we weren't bored. Abby? No, there was a lot of drama throughout the whole race that a safety car wasn't wasn't an added ingredient to actually create more drama. But I'm not entirely sure why Ocon parked it there. I I don't really know what he was thinking in that time. Um, I don't. I feel like I didn't want that to happen because of where Hamilton was in the race. Um, but obviously, 
drivers came into the pits, including Science and Hamilton, and one driver, which also drives a Ferrari, decided, well, he stayed out because he didn't get called in. Um, we'll get to that. But I'm, I'm not sure what Ocon was thinking there or what the team was thinking. I mean, I assume he was thinking, hopefully my car will restart itself. Um, so I'm not going to go and park it right now. But he was near the national pit straight, which means that he could have gone into the alternative pits and got the car off. Literally, what, 100 metres, if well, less before that. So I thought it was strange. Um, James? My only thought, sir, is that he knew the car was going to die, but it was he literally didn't have any time to save it or to park it. That's the only explanation I can think of. And there are times when the cars can do that. They're increasingly rare these days, but that's the only explanation I can give the benefit of that for Tarokon. Otherwise, he's an idiot. He parked it just off the racing line, but going into Cop's Corner. You know, there's, there's, there's not a worse a place you could have parked the damn thing. Yeah, yeah, that that is, um, you know, it's like parking it on the fast lane on um, on the M1, just above Manchester. You know, where it's going into Scotland, where everyone drives really fast because there aren't any speed cameras. Yes, um, some of you may know, some of you may not know. Um, anyway, we had the safety car. Oh boy. Oh boy, did we not know what this was going to bring. This brought some of the best racing action I have ever seen in my entire life. Does anyone, would anyone say this wasn't the best racing they've ever seen in their entire life? I mean, this was up there with, this was probably the best racing action I've ever seen in my life, whilst being alive. (laughs) If you know what I mean. It reminded me a lot of uh, Rosberg and Hamilton in 2014, which for me was just some of the best racing action I've ever seen. I mean, it was, I mean, that was wheel to wheel and it was always tactical battles, etc. This was, this had more cars than that. Multiple cars of different constructor, which always helps <laughs> compared to 2014. But it was just so, so ridiculously awesome, which is a terrible metaphor, but it was fantastic. Uh you know, you had Sainz demanding to be let past Leclerc because he was on hard tyres, uh, whereas Sainz was on the was on the mediums, as for everybody else. As you say, Abby, he did click on into the pits. He was shafted again. Thanks, Ferrari, to that. And then <laughs> you had Leclerc running wide into the entry on the straight. Perez taking Hamilton for P3 in another move. Perez then begins to close up on the back of um, Leclerc's Ferrari. Per- Hamilton then attempts to take another Red Bull into Cop's corner. And then backs out of it because he realises that's probably not going to come off pretty well. And then science, and, and then science. Well, <laughs> James, let me help you. Let me help you. It's not like I've got this ready. Yeah, Perez is catching Charles Leclerc. He takes him towards the inside. Perez on the inside. Charles Leclerc gives him just enough space. Can Perez squeeze past? They're going wheel to wheel towards Bale now. Who's going to be last on the brakes? Leclerc has that inside line. Perez goes off the track. Fernando Alonso and 
and Lando Norris as well. Five cars separated by about 20 metres here. Perez goes through. Hamilton gets just blocked a little bit by Leclerc. Here comes Fernando Alonso down towards Cole. Hamilton had to get out of the throttle. He was pushed to the outside there. And um, Alonso then couldn't make anything of that. And off we go again. Absolutely extraordinary. Was this fair racing? Now, this is a big question that I've seen debated around. There were drivers being pushed off track. There were... Um, um, hold on, let me get my microphone back where it needs to be. Um, there were drivers being pushed off track. They were going on, off, backwards, forwards. Um, one word answer, please, uh, both of you, starting with James. Fair racing, yes or no, or should the FIA have looked into it? Sorry, you can't answer that in one word. Um, was this fair? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. Abby, was this fair, yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Okay, that was not a full yes. So let's let's let me ask another question, James. Should the FIA have investigated this? Sorry, should should the stewards have investigated this? Yes or no? No. Abby, should the stewards have looked at this? Yes or no? Maybe. Okay, that wasn't a yes or a no, but expand. <laughs> <laughs> I think because I think at one point, from what I saw. Perez obviously was fighting Leclerc. And I feel like at one point Perez ran wide and got ahead of Leclerc, which allowed, and Hamilton sailed past. So I don't know whether Perez did gain track position by going off the track at that point. I, I feel like he did, in which case I think it should be investigated, but I might be wrong. If he didn't, then obviously it was fair racing and it doesn't need investigating. All right. Well, in my opinion... And I want to hear your thoughts on this. But in my opinion, drivers were being pushed off track. They were going off track, um, gaining advantages, then then pushing people off. But this is the first time in so long I've seen real racing where it's gloves off. And for that reason, I am so happy that there was none of this investigation. Do we know if the race result is real? Is Hamilton going to... Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? It was... The drivers on track in that position were where they needed to be. Um, I was surprised, however, that there weren't investigations. Abby? Yeah, it it definitely was hard racing. It was, like, tongue-in-cheek, heart-in-mouth, like, oh, my God. I was watching it, and it was so tense because they get so close. And I, feel, I often thought, oh, my God, they're going to crash. They're going to have contact. This is all going to be over and disastrous for Hamilton and McLaren Perez. Thankfully, they didn't. But it was just great to see them battle this hard and have all these back and forth and everything. But yeah, I was surprised that there weren't investigations. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this was the the most skilled racing I've seen. I agree. James? I just want to call out that Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc going through Cobb's Corner. Inches, inches from touching. Millimetres. That was... I mean, that, that, that was... To Verstappen, what how he should have taken Cops Corner last year, a bit brutal. But uh... you um you say that's brutal. I believe Crofty actually said something like, "And that's how you take Cops Corner on the commentary when Hamilton and Leclerc went through it." So it's he, I thought it's he was brutal, saying that about Hamilton. If I'm honest, uh, okay. Well, I still feel better knowing that, that it was said. Maybe that's but, me. Maybe that's my inner Hamilton fan guilt. 
of last year. I don't know. But it was it was it was just a beautiful maneuver to get. It, it, it was a bit like Mansell as center, you know, in Spain. You know that iconic shot there inch of their wheels inches away from touching each other. But this time they're going through Cops Corner at two hundred you know, miles an hour. That was just supremely skillful driving, and I don't think I don't think we'll see that again this year. Sadly, I really want to, but I don't think we ever. I don't think we'll see that something to, again for a while. That's going to be iconic in a few years. Is that? Yeah, I mean, when you see when you see these montages about F one is the greatest sport and motorsport blood, you know, passion and the, and and these and these um, highlights from the British Grand Prix's greatest moments that that will be in it till the end of time, and I can't tell you honestly how loud I was screaming. It was I've just I've never seen anything like it, and. You know, when I said I've, I, I, this was one of the greatest races I've seen in my life, I'm not sure that that can beat it. You know, those those few laps were just absolutely epic. Oh, I've literally got goosebumps thinking about it right now. Um, can you tell I like F1, by the way? <laughs> can can you tell? Yes, I think I think I, I think we got the message, Ollie. I think we got the message. Right, okay. Just a little bit, just a little hint. But try, what I'll say is as well, when you guys were watching it, screaming, etc., watching it, I was trying to write down what was happening on those few laps. <laughs> so you, could you not scream with it? No, I was frantically drawing, oh, hang on, hang on, Paris has overtaken Hamilton. Oh, for goodness sake, he's overtaken someone else now, less than, less than a lap later. I have to write this down again. And I just, I just, like, I, I, my, my laptop, my, my, my keyboard had steam coming off it from the amount of typing I was doing. It was just, it was, it was just beyond real. Every, every race I report on, action happens, but that was just beyond ridiculous. <laughs> now, the, the, the thing is, I, I'm not a journalist, and this is why we have an incredible team, including Abby and James, as our journalists in, in this team. But if I was a journalist, I would have said, sod this, I'm watching the race. <laughs> I really would have. <laughs> you would have fired me, Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I was too busy. I wouldn't have even noticed. Um, I lie, I lie. Obviously, we were talking. Um, but one man we haven't mentioned who suddenly, out of nowhere, decided, I want to be involved with this, was the old boy. It was Fernando Alonso. I thought he was going to get involved. Well, he did get involved with it, didn't he, James? He did. It looked like he was going to be pressured. It looked like he was going to pressure Leclerc and take fourth place off him, which would have just just capped off a truly awful afternoon. Thankfully, <laughs> it would have, wouldn't it? Thankfully, that Alpine is nowhere near the pace of the Ferrari, even with damage, and Leclerc was able to hold on to before. But it's it's still a pretty embarrassing day for Leclerc. It's just. I really want Leclerc to do well. He's such an awesome, an awesome, wholesome champ, you know, wholesome potential champion, and he's just being let down so badly. But as we know, F1 contracts aren't watertight; they're not worth the paper they're written on. So who knows? Yeah. And as we know, Ferrari uh, are an interesting team. Um, the one thing I noticed before we move on to just uh, the the final stages of this race is after the race, um, believe it or not, Alonso finished behind Leclerc, um, but Alonso said. Oh, well, you know, it, uh, Charles Leclerc's racing was unfair and basically this happened last time. He said, I thought P4 was a great result for me. No, no, no. Alonso finished in P5, but all through his interview, he was saying that he finished in P4 because he wanted the result to be changed. Is that not a little bit of a spoiled brat thing to do? It's sportsmanship. It's, sorry. It's not sportsmanship, right? <laughs> Wrong one. Start again. Start again. 
that's gamesmanship, which sadly, as awesome as Fernando Alonso is, he's pretty much well known for. It's his IP. He plays games. That's what he's, it's, it's, it's what he's known for. So it doesn't surprise me with Fernando. Uh, he'll do anything he needs to do in order to get a result sometimes. And this was just one of those moments. It's disappointing, but it's not new. So, I mean, drawing to the end of this colossal race, uh, I'm not going to go into how much it excited me again, but um, something else excited me. Can, can someone else get excited about this, please? Because I, I, I've got little adrenaline left. Um, Mick Schumacher was pressuring Max Verstappen. That was insane and absolutely amazing to see how close he got and how hard he was pushing that Red Bull. It, it was so intense. And especially because... Schumacher was in the points and it's his first points this season. It was just incredible to see him. Obviously, Verstappen was having issues throughout the race. He was complaining a lot on the radio. So his pace wasn't quite where it used, where it was in previous races. But to see Schumacher be there and battle hard with Verstappen was just incredible. And I loved it. And I really hope that Schumacher can... Not necessarily fight Verstappen again, because I'm sure Verstappen will be at the front of the grid in the subsequent races. But fight in the midfield like that, because it's just amazing. It, it is. James? The confidence boost he's going to get from that result, not just from finishing in the points, but yes, the yes, that is a, it's a Red Bull with floor damage, quite extensive floor damage. But fighting with a Red Bull and fighting it that hard going to the chequered flag all the way to the chequered flag. And if I'm honest, that's the one incident I think should have been investigated. I think Verstappen was a little bit over the line uh, when he was doing that. Pun not intended. I've just realised how I said that. Never mind. But <laughs> James, that was epic. <laughs> you should have claimed that. Okay, I claim it. Um, but it was... It was just fantastic to see Mick get his confidence back, and then in the uh, in, in, in a program which I can't obviously say out loud because we are, we were on the air. But rhymes um, with the goat book, I assume. Correct. Yeah. Um, there was a, a lovely footage of Mick and and K Mag together celebrating their points, and Mick with a huge bottle of champagne spraying it into the crowd that was still uh, in the pit lane, you know, chanting his name. The confidence boost, as I say, that that that, that guy's going to have now. I really do think, hopefully. Because they also said that they don't want him to get you know, overwhelmed. They don't want him to be have to under too much pressure to replicate this again. But I think internally, he'll feel like right. That's that's that barrier overcome now. I can do this. And provided has to give him a good car and luck is on his side because he has been close a couple of times this season. I reckon he's got it. It's, it's really interesting you say that because I know exactly what you're referring to. And, and Steiner said, um, you know, we don't we don't want him to, to to think this is expectation now. Blah blah blah. Keep the pressure low. And, and then Gene Haas comes along and they says, yeah, let's see if he can do it again next week. <laughs> I just thought, I thought, there's the team manager and there's the man who pays the bills. Right, that's the contrast between the two. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and again, Mick Schumacher started this race in nineteenth place. And he got himself into the points for the first time in F1 after a week or a couple of weeks where people are saying he's out of F1. I mean, couldn't have come at a better time, could it? Certainly not. And I know there were six DNFs throughout the whole race. So obviously there'll be less drivers in the classified race result. But he's still getting the points. And the battle between him and Verstappen just proved that he does deserve to be there. 
and deserves to be in F1 and have that seat and that he does have the talent and skill for it. He had the pace, ultimately. Yes, there were less cars, but he had the pace to stay up there. There's one driver who I don't want to mention for the on my third podcast in a row who didn't have the pace. Um, it doesn't Papaya. rhyme with um, troll. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but okay. he had a, he had a horror show as well. Actually, no, he didn't actually have a horror show. He, the, but that's actually something I have to say. Both Aston Martins back at the grid in qualifying, both in the points at the checkered flag. That's a great result sorry, for them. And- sorry, I, do, I had switched to my qualifying results to mention where Mick started, and I, and I read Lance Stroll in last. That's why I said that. Self-defence, you see. Um, I think Stroll finished 11th. Stroll so did finish 11th, yep. In that case, let's do the whole. In that case, just edit that whole section out. Sorry. No, no, I'm keeping that in. That was good. Um, but let, let's talk about the race results then. Um, so coming in last on track. In fact, let's mention the DNF. So Ocon DNF, Gasly DNF, Bottas DNF, Russell DNF, Zhou Guanyu, you guessed it, and Alexander Albon. Um, so last on track was Yuki Tsunoda. What did we think of his race? He hit his teammate, sent them both spinning, terrible pace, unable to recover. Bad day at the office. Agreed. Now, Abby, um, I'm going to throw this one to you, but I guess James is going to get animated because he's a solid McLaren fan. Uh, 13th, which was second last, Danny Ricciardo. Yeah, it it's hard to see as, as a McLaren fan and a fan of Danny Rick. It is hard to see him not getting the points and have good races and with all the talk about whether he should stay with McLaren whether he should retire and that it is difficult he has had a tough few weeks hopefully he Abby, can you're being improve. too nice you're being too nice okay I will <laughs> it's tough he he didn't have a good race at all it mm. was yeah okay that that's nice McLaren fan animated McLaren fan James <laughs> I feel like I'm getting a reputation for this, but never mind. Uh, with uh, with Danny Rick, I just I, I don't want to sound like a broken record because I say it on almost every podcast now, but it's got to get better. I mean, the difference the difference with this race was that he had a DRS issue as again from the Goat Book uh, as reference, but the the, the, goat, the Goat Book reference that there was a very bad DRS very bad there was a DRS issue which meant that it wasn't working the entire race for him. Now, that will have impacted his ability to move up the field. There's no getting away from that. But the problem is the writing has been on the wall since the whole weekend. You know, in practice, when Lando popped his car into second place, up second place, and everyone thought, OK, McLaren looked like they could have some decent points this weekend, which, of course, they did with Lando in P6. Danny Rick was over a second and a half slower than his teammate in practice. Yeah, and I think the fact that we have not mentioned his name until this point once may say a little bit and the fact that Nicholas Latifi finished ahead of him in 12th may say a little bit um Lance Stroll 11th K-Mag in the points 10th as you said James both drivers in the points Sebastian Vettel after causing a (laughs) bit of mayhem in the first start of the race finished in 9th can I defend Vettel just for a moment? It wasn't oh, his fault. You know, it was not his it fault. It wasn't his fault. No, it wasn't his fault at all. He was reacting to Albon slowing down because Albon himself was reacting to white smoke. It was yeah. it was just it was a not, perfect... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, there was no one at fault. Um, I just meant that it was him that started the chain reaction. It was actually it wasn't him that started the chain reaction. Anyway, um, Mick Schumacher, eighth. Verstappen, as we said, seventh. Norris in sixth. Um, on Norris, he spent so long after the race entertaining those fans. It was... It was just fantastic. And okay, he's a bit goofy and all he was doing was was hanging over the top, just waving a flag. But it was just nice to see. He knows that he's got massive support there. He is loved by the fans. He knows it and he embraced it. And I always find it mad at the British Grand Prix how many people stand on that pit straight um, for hours on end and just go, hooray, every time the camera comes to them. Um I've never done it in my life, I swear. But Norris, what a guy this weekend. Didn't he enjoy it? He he certainly did. And I feel like he had quite a lonely race, really, because there weren't he wasn't shown on the broadcast much battling other drivers, but I think it's the whole atmosphere in that. And McLaren being based in Woking as well, for the whole team and him especially, it's just it's such a good vibe for them. And he is a very goofy person, like you said, Ollie, and he just does get involved with the fans, and it's great to see him get involved with that. So I was glad that he finished in the points, but I was hoping for a bit better. Well, he could have had better. Um, McLaren fluffed. That's my that, that's my word of this podcast. Fluffed. I've been saying that a few times now about McLaren, anyway. Well, well a few few teams, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> But McLaren did fluff his pit stop because he spent so long in front of Fernando Alonso. And unfortunately, as soon as he was in front, as soon as Alonso was in front of him after the pit stop, he just disappeared into the distance, didn't he? So I think he could have had P5, but uh, all in all, I think they'll be pretty pleased with P6. Absolutely. And again, leading um, leading the charge for McLaren. Um, Alonso, uh, epic result, really, if you think about it, finishing P5. There's not much you can say bad about Alonso, apart from his off-track etiquette. Um, but it was Charles Leclerc who finished in fourth after... A, uh, I wanted to say disastrous weekend. It wasn't. It was an unfair weekend. Disastrous race is what it was. It, mm. He was... Uh, again, I think the best way to describe him was in, uh, his race was impacted by ineffective decision making. If I were to do corporate speak, yes, it was nothing to do with him. Um, yes, he did have a bit of damage, and and there were fights, but finishing a P four was not his choice. Um, Lewis Hamilton took the podium in P three. It was there were so many points where it was looking like it could be a race win, but I think that's ultimately the right place for Hamilton given that race um I'm glad to see him on the podium so were the British fans it was extremely exciting but Sergio Perez from last to second oh man epic Emperor Marco will be displeased with this I think because (laughs) he will yeah because it was so epic and it outshone everything right yeah, and I'm not winning myself any favours with Red Bull fans, so I'm aware with, 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 with calling him Emperor Marco. Um, but Perez made it very clear he wants to win the World Championship a few races ago, and he's been on a mission ever since to prove that. And this was yet again another example of showing that that's, that's those are his intentions and he will get his way. He wants to be involved. And it was a stunning drive from Perez. Forceful driving, not, aggr- not too aggressive, not over the line, just 
a really solid drive with pace. Brilliant to watch. I know, and and when when it was getting to the close of the stage, closing stages of the race, I was thinking, is it, what's Perez doing there? It was just it was just epic the way he fought his way back. Abby, any thoughts on that? He he did do a phenomenal job today, and he was he was in a lot of battles, and he won them, and he deserved to be on that podium. He did. And the race winner, who actually fluffed it at one point, James, I had to steal it. Um, he fluffed it earlier on in that race by going off track and losing the lead at that point. But the most well-deserved win of the season was who, James? Science had a brilliant race, and it was the first weekend where Science was able to show his worth, but also a bit more of a... An astute, aggressive side in terms of how he wants things to be done within the team. He's, you know, I, I don't want to be a number two to Charles. I want to fight for the win. Now, whether you whether you believe it was right or not for that to happen, because Leclerc should have walked away with 19 points caught up on uh, Verstappen. Well, to be 19 points closer to Verstappen, he was instead six points ahead. But that's given Sites uh, a justifiable cause to think I'm in this championship because Ferrari are going to back me. I think it depends race by race, sorry to say, but it was a fantastic display by Carlos and just a really forthright and authoritative approach from him. And I long may it continue. I love this car. I love this new Carlos. It's brilliant. It, it, it is. And my God, did he need it just for his reputation, his, his mentality. Um, Abby? Definitely. Because earlier in the season, there were rumours or, um, questions surrounding his contract with Ferrari because he had had a couple of rough races but this was such a long-awaited win he's come close many times but this was just perfect and it I think he was the first F1 driver since Maldonado to turn his first pole into his first win and he has it's 150 races he's waited for it and it was so good to see him turn his pole into win because it is well deserved and he is an excellent driver, but it will be interesting to see how Ferrari handle both Science and Leclerc wanting to battle for the championship and whether team orders will come into play. Both teams have got a bit of spice then, haven't they? So you've got so you've got Perez and Science challenging their teammates wanting the championship. Oh, this is going to get really interesting as the rest of the season progresses. I can't wait for this. It is. And, you know, if Russell hadn't been taken out in this race, say no more. Um, right, we're going to go into our drives of the day, but I'm just letting you know, I've got an awesome stat on the way that we just received from um, our Twitter king, who is Richard. And it's, so it's the change in points compared to 10 rounds last year. So where were the drivers after 10 rounds last year? Have a little think. Um, but let's go to our drivers of the day. Um, I'm going to tell you after this who the fans voted on on F1. You may or may not know. Um, But, oh, I can see you both thinking really hard. James has stopped looking at the screen. He's now now rocking on his chair. Abby's biting her fingernail. Um, I'm going to start with you, Abby. Who was your driver of the day? Okay. I actually have two. No, you can only have one, but you can... (laughs) Can I I do an honourable mention? Yes, of course you can. Okay. My honourable mention is Russell, because even though he didn't race, the way he just leapt out of that car to go and check on Joe was just really admirable and inspiring and was really great to see. Totally agree. 
And then my driver of the day is different to what um, was voted as driver of the day. It's Schumacher because he kept his pace. He battled Verstappen really hard. And I'm guessing that Schumacher was also James's by his reaction. <laughs> James literally went, ah, oh, <laughs> and hit the desk. <laughs> <laughs> but he just really proved himself today and outshone quite a few drivers, in my opinion. And it was just great to see. So Schumacher is my driver of the day because he finally got his points. Agreed. Right. There's there's no rule, James, that says that you can't have the same. But we are broadcasters. So, uh, James, who was your driver of the day? It was Mick Schumacher. Um, but I'm going to go a bit left field and say a suggestion which I did not think I'd be saying at the start of the weekend. And I'm going to say Nicholas Latifi is my oh driver my of the day. Oh, my God. This is the first time in history. I know. <laughs> and the reason I'm going to say that is because that Williams did not have the pace to be in the top 10. But I thought Latifi was in the, he was in there for well over a quarter of the race. He still brought it home ahead of... Uh, who did he bring ahead of? Daniel Ricciardo and Yuki Tsunoda. The rest of the cars behind him may have overtaken him, with the exception, I think, of his teammate. But he was, st- he was still able to come home only eight seconds ahead of Lance Stroll, who himself was only two seconds ahead of Kevin Magnussen. So he had the pace if something happened to stay in the points. So I know he's. I think he's out. The, I think he's out the door, unfortunately, at the end of the year. But this was a really good race for him to maybe try and get his confidence back. But unfortunately, and this is a bit of a mini rant. There are drivers who suddenly come on fire if their careers are on the line, such as I don't know Giancarlo Fisichella when he was at Renault. He was about to be. I remember he was about to be lapped by his teammate at Monaco. Fernando Alonso and all of a sudden he set the fastest lap of the race um, it's not quite that bad but I think Latifi is coming good but it might just be a bit too late so try over the day with a sting in the tail okay um, unfortunately I hadn't thought about mine until about 10 seconds ago so I'm sitting here like desperately trying to think of who it is um, Carlos Sainz did an amazing drive um, but he doesn't yeah he made some mistakes, so he is not my driver of the day. Um, oh, God, I've just found myself well under pressure here. Um, go on, Lolly, pull it together. Looking through the classifications... <laughs> I'm really dragging this out. Um, looking through the classifications, I have got to... got to give it to Perez. Absolutely. Um... I wanted to give it to Hamilton, but I know people would have predicted that. So um, Sergio Perez, last to second, has to take it. Um, Honourable mention, agreed, Abby. Um, F1's driver of the day was also Sergio Perez. Oh, my God! Um, But (laughs) that's not why I picked it. I I just agree with the people. Um, So compared to this stage in the season, after round 10... The change in points. Russell has got 111 more points than he did after round 10 last year. That's incredible. Or is it? You'd expect it because he switched teams. <laughs> so exactly. I, th- I, th- I think if Mercedes had got their act together, he would be on an awful lot more than that. Because I think a couple of wins would have been in there as well. But nonetheless, 111 is a nice, healthy haul. And he's the only driver. Well, he was the only driver to be in the top five consistently every Grand Prix. Kind of at the window now, but he has such, he's had such a good run. I think that's I think he's matured as a driver even more at Mercedes this year. Okay, to have that pace. 
Okay, agreed. Uh, obviously, he's at Mercedes, not Williams. Uh, this one, uh, I've had to change my screen, so let me just go back to your faces and move my this bit over there so I can read it and see your faces. Um, okay, there we go. Um, Hamilton, who is at the same team, is 84 points behind this time last year. That's understandable. But Bottas, who was in a Mercedes is ahead of Hamilton based on last year, and he's only 62 points behind where he was last year. That's something, right? Bottas is ahead on points and ahead on Hamilton, despite the fact he's in a new team. Yes, and that's incredible, isn't it, James? Abby, what do you think of that? It's, yeah, it is incredible, considering Hamilton is in a Mercedes, but Bottas is just so comfortable in the Alfa Romeo. So... I think it's definitely the right place for him to be. So we have just finished round 10 of the 2022 championship. What a round 10 it was. Um, let's go into the driver's championship standings. Abby, would you like to do the honours for me? Let's start in 10th and work our way to number one. In 10th, we have Fernando Alonso on 28 points this season. And ahead of him in 9th is Ocon, his teammate, on 39 points, so only nine points ahead. Eighth, Valtteri Bottas on 46. And Lando Norris is in seventh on 58 points, quite a way ahead of Daniel Ricciardo. And then fifth and sixth, it is Russell and Hamilton, respectively. Hamilton is on 93 points, whereas Russell is on 111 points. And then you have both the Ferraris. Science is in fourth on 127 points, with Leclerc ahead in 138 points. And then 1-2, it is Red Bull. Perez is second on 147 points, and Verstappen is maintaining his championship lead on 181 points. Wow. Leclerc's lost a lot of ground. Wow. James, what do you think of that? I think that uh, Leclerc needs a miracle. Mm. I he did tell you this was going to happen. Like today. I knew this was going to happen, and it's happened. Um, but the, champ- the drivers' championship is not the only championship going. We have the constructors. Um, James, do you want to? Yeah, do the top ten, the whole grid. <laughs> there are only ten teams on the grid, so I can only do ten. You can. Uh, in tenth, we have Williams on three points. In ninth, we have Aston Martin on eighteen. Haas are in eighth on twenty. Alpha Tori are in 7th on 27. In 6th, we have Alpha Romeo on 51. Alpine in 5th on 67. McLaren are in 4th place on 73. And there is a little bit of a gap to the rest of the field, with Mercedes in 3rd place on 204. Ferrari in 2nd place on 265. And then a little bit of a gap again uh, to Red Bull on 328. So it's been a good few races for Red Bull. It sure has. Wow, they've turned that around. Abby, what do you think of that? I think by the looks of that, the Red Bull will probably most definitely win the Constructors this year. With Perez and Verstappen both trying to fight for the championship, Red Bull, I think, definitely have it in the bag. And I'm actually surprised by the gap between Mercedes and McLaren being that big because I know McLaren have been rather bad but Mercedes have struggled as well so I wasn't thinking that there would be 204 to 73 I didn't think it would be that big in my head there's one reason for that (laughs) James 
uh, Danny Rick, I'm afraid. Uh, but the really frightening, the really frightening thing with this, unfortunately for McLaren, is they're on 73 points. Alpine are only are now on 67. There's not much left before McLaren lose fourth place. They were better than the rest last year, comfortably. This year, they could drop to fifth or possibly even sixth if they're not careful. Mm. I, I mean, I, I'm going to say at this stage, Alpine are fourth in my head. Well, we'll finish fourth in my head. I, I can't see. I can't see McLaren. I can see McLaren. I can't see Danny Rick turning this round. Um, you know, Alpine have got two solid drivers who are delivering. Race in, race out. I think we've done it, guys. Is there anything else you want to mention on this show? Abby takes a deep breath. I just want to give a shout out to Arthur Leclerc in F3. He won at Silverstone yesterday in the feature race. And to Logan Sargent in F2 to be the first American to win a race in Formula 2. And it was a European race. So I just wanted to say congratulations to all of them and to Carlin for a double podium in F2 as well. The only other thing I would add, similar to a Formula 2 races, that uh, I think it's remarkable that Nisani's not been banned considering his driving style. Uh, he was involved in battles, as you say, Abby. The problem was was that he was going backwards the entire first lap. And if anyone joins, coming, if anyone runs wide after the hangar straight and comes back on at full pelt and then zigzags across the track and forces someone onto the grass, that, in my view, is behaviour to be banned. Nisani has accepted his five-place grid penalty for the next race uh, and has apologised, but he needs more punishment than that because it just reminded me of Grosjean back in 2012. It was just disgraceful. That's the only thing I would say. I don't want to end it on a downer, actually. No, I think of something else funny, uh, something else nice. Okay, to say. I, was, I didn't want to end it on a downer, so I was just going to say to recap our race ratings because we did it such a long time ago. Now, um, James scored it a twenty out of ten. Abby scored it a twenty-five out of ten for the added atmosphere of being there. And I gave it a ten out of ten for the first time because uh, you, you can't go for twenty or twenty-five out of ten because it doesn't work. But um, I gave it a hundred percent. Absolutely fantastic weekend. Um, next week, where are we? We're in the lovely Styrian hills of Austria. It's Red Bull Racing's home race. It's another wicked track. It's a short one that always provides action. I'm excited, and we've only got a few days until it starts. Um, Abby, any predictions for the weekend coming up? Well, I think it's actually quite hard to predict because we do have the second sprint race of the season this weekend in Austria. So... Interesting to see how that sets up the grid for Sunday. Spot on. Thank you for reminding me about the uh, sprint race. Um, first one of the year. Going to be interesting. James? It will be very interesting. Unfortunately, I am fortunately going to have to predict a Red Bull 1-2 because they've really got their act together in recent seasons and they're always very quick there. It's a very, shall we say, uh, uneven, bouncy circuit. So I suspect that Lewis Hamilton and George Russell's backs are in for a bit of a, a workout, unfortunately. But sprint races usually tend to favour McLaren. It's one thing they tend to get right, Monza being the Monza last year being the obvious uh, uh, comparison. But they den- they generally tend to have good weekends at sprints. Watch me curse it, uh, but we'll see what happens with that. Well, that is, I was going to say, all we've got time for. Um, We've gone on for nearly, well, just two hours and ten minutes uh, recording this show. So, um Abby, thank you so much. And by the way, did you have a great time with Sam in the media this weekend at Silverstone? 
the whole time we were there, all three days were just amazing and fantastic. And it was incredible to represent Formula Nerds. James, um, did you have a good weekend? And thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, yeah, a lovely weekend. Uh, it was it was fun to watch the race and try and report on it. Uh, but and uh, yeah, thank you for having me. It's always a, always a pleasure, sir. All right. Well, we will see you in Austria next week. Until then, we've got the news from the Nerds podcast coming up on Wednesday. I'm actually going on a little break this week. I'm off to stay in a castle um, in Coventry with the wife so I'm going to chill out next time you hear me I should be nice chill relaxed unless it's another race like we've just had so we will see you then thank you for listening as always goodbye Network.